I have been in a now the a three part series, and um, and I actually uh, you know enjoy my marriage. I love the topic of marriage in the Bible. I uh, Dolores and I she partners with me, and we do quite a bit of marriage counseling, which is one of the the things that I really like to do in my ministry. But I tell you, to put these messages together was one of the hardest things I've done in a while. Um, I believe it's just the attack of the enemy to, uh, to try to squelch the message of God's word that he is the one that created marriage and he is the one that heals hearts and heals marriages uh, so that covenants will last. I, I want to start off today with kind of going into an imagery picture here of what happens typically at a traditional Christian marriage. And um, some of these traditions are, get ver- have variations to them, and, and uh, you know, and, and creativity comes today, and today's modern couples, and it's all fine, it's all good. And, uh, but I want to start there because it really is a powerful picture of how God is at work in our relationship. So in this sanctuary, uh, there's been a, a lot of weddings. Um, I know Delisa and, and, and my wedding, we were in this building, but it was before the other rooms were, were finished. So it was actually against that wall, because uh, about this half was the sanctuary, and then this half was different r- rooms and so forth. And, and we were the last wedding in that old structure there before this uh, came to be there. And, uh, but you know, today's uh, you know, couples, they love getting the atmosphere just right, and they might have outdoor weddings or a really cool venue with a certain uh, earthy vibe to it, and it's really, and it's all good. It's all creative. It's about bringing out uh, beauty from that couple's relationship. And when God created marriage, he created it as the first relationship on earth. Uh, as, as soon as God uh, in, was watching Adam uh, live by himself. He said, hey, it's, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he goes about creating his, per, his perfect partner, perfect match. And in really in heaven was the perfect match. Uh, Eve was created, uh, taken from a rib out of his side and formed at, from this part of his, his being, his body. And they were sinless when they were created. And so the garden was without sin where they first lived, the Garden of Eden. So it really was the perfect couple. And um, it, it was, you can't imagine how amazing that was. I think when um, uh, Adam, you know, was put to sleep to have that surgery, taking the rib out and being formed, I believe when he woke up, uh, I believe he said, Whoa, man! <laughs> and he... Ended up naming her woman. So I think that's how that really worked. But um, what has happened since then was they disobeyed God. There was the fall of man that has brought sin to every person that's born, every generation. But Jesus Christ, he still is the unifier of all marriages. And that's why in a wedding ceremony... You have different things that uh, are similar to covenant making. That when God thought of covenant, he thought of marriage. Because he didn't want rejection to break the heart of man or woman. It's the most painful type 
of, of pain is rejection. And so he created covenant. And so here you have, when you have two different uh, families, and in the ancient uh, covenant world, that would represent the two parties uh, making covenant and with an aisle down the middle. And, and then they, you know, the, uh, even when Abraham, uh, God made covenant with Abraham, he had to cut the animals in two. Uh, and, and sure enough, this blazing torch uh, representing God by the Holy Spirit came down the middle in between uh, those two uh, sets of, of bodies that's being sacrificed, of animals. And um, what happens is, is that the man comes in from the side with the pastor. And he comes in first because the groom who represents Jesus Christ in Scripture, we have marriage as a symbolic for the Old Testament, God and his people Israel. There's groom and bride there. The New Testament, Jesus Christ is his groom. We're the bride. So it's an imagery God has in both Old and New Testaments. And so the groom represents Jesus saying, I initiate the covenant with this bride that's about to walk down the aisle. And then when uh, she comes out, everybody stands and everyone wants to see, right? And everybody wants to get the picture of, of the first look from the groom. And what does he see? Because she has made herself ready. And we see this as a a a good illustration of what's happening in the Spirit with the whole world, God's plan, according to Revelation uh, chapter, what is that, 19, if you bring it up here. That at the marriage supper of the Lamb, there is this celebration of finally this wedding that's going to happen in eternity. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Verse 8. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so this is actually a reenactment of what God is doing throughout His whole body of Christ as He's preparing us, making us beautiful, washing, washing us, cleansing us with His Word so that we would be that pure, spotless, bright, shining bride in the heavenlies at this marriage supper. And so sure enough, somehow God anoints these brides and they are, they've never looked so beautiful and they come out and people go, and you know, and they're looking at the groom and what is he doing? And then she comes down the aisle with her covering, her protective covering. Her dad represents uh, the parents, the family, that they were the protective covering, helping to prepare her. She prepared herself for that covenant making ceremony. And at that covenant marriage ceremony, he releases her to the next protective covering to the husband. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? And he says, we do. And then the bride is released to be protected by the new, the, the groom, by his covering. And so you have the pastor here as a literal uh, representation that God is here. And he is the unifier to bless this covenant. And that therefore, no matter what crisis happened down the road, because crisis and suffering will come, the Lord Jesus Christ is there to help each one and to bring that marriage through to be a marriage that lasts, but more than survive and to thrive. 
I want to be honest with you, and, and I haven't interviewed other pastors to see if this is the case, but for me, wedding ceremonies, that first page of a wedding ceremony is the, is the most nervous I ever am in front of people. And it, it really shocked me the first time it happened. I was in Texas marrying a good friend of ours, and, and, uh, and I ended up was shaking. My voice was quivering, and I was trying to get through the, the first page and got into it. And, and I realized, looking back, well, I, after I got into, into the middle of it, I was fine. I thought, well, that's just, that's just you know, me being kind of the first wedding that I did. It's, it's no big deal. And uh-uh, it happened the next time. And I realized I have got to prepare myself to be ready for this first page of this wedding covenant-making ceremony. And I found that I would keep asking the Lord, why is this, why is this? And I felt like he said, because I'm there as part of the covenant and making a covenant, and you represent me. And there is a weight that that brings. There's the weight in this beginning moments. The words are, you know, common words that we kind of hear. Welcome, family and friends of the bride and groom. We are gathered here in the sight of God, in the presence of these witnesses to join together and say the full name of, of these people. In holy matrimony, which was instituted of God at the creation of the human race, signifying for us the mystical union that is between Jesus Christ and His holy bride, the church. So every wedding covenant is reflecting us and our covenant with Jesus Christ. And so his weight is there. His soberness is there. And so I do a lot of breathing before I start speaking. I do a lot of trusting in God. And the next, in these few paragraphs, the next paragraph is Matthew 19, where we've been the last couple of weeks, verses 4 through 6. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read? that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. So God's intention is for marriage to represent him. God's intention is for marriage uh, covenants to last. The definition I've been using for marriage covenant is this, that God treasures love, romance, and sexual uh, intimacy. Therefore, He protects these by creating a marriage covenant, a lifelong commitment between two people of the opposite gender with God Himself as their unifier. What are some of the ingredients, what's required long-term, covenant is a lifelong commitment for covenants to last in marriage. And I started this list last week. I, uh, the other week, number one, they're willing to go to counseling, and I'm putting slash resources. I told you that we as we're pastors here, we are for marriages, and we are ready to be there for you, and no matter what comes, and it's, it's really a, a, a requirement for God for us to intervene in any marriage that's hurting. But it's not just 
in crisis time for counseling. Counseling is available at any time, but just resources. All the incredible uh, podcasts and, and books and seminars out there. And, and we had one recently in town led by Todd Claypool that just went really well. We're hoping to connect more with Todd and his wife and their ministry. But also that they are willing to forgive another key component of covenants at last. And you know uh, how it is in that uh, honeymoon phase. And it's, oh, now why would this be that hard to do? Uh, uh, I love him or I love her so much I'd do anything for. And and, and surely forgiveness is not going to be hard. Well, hey, it's the person you live with day in and day out. So yes, there'll be many chances to forgive. There's that scriptural principle that says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And so I heard a lady uh, recently say, you know, uh, my husband and I, we have an agreement that we're not going to go to sleep if we are angry with each other. We've been awake since last Friday. (laughs) Yeah, that, that could happen. Forgiveness, oh, it's just part of everyday life in marriage and family. The other part that I, the other one that I mentioned last week is that covenants at last, they cultivate their friendship, romance, and sexual intimacy. And these are three components that are actually have a foundation of the covenant. Uh, so many times when couples just want to live together and try it out, they're trying out their friendship. They're trying out their romance. They're trying out their sexual intimacy without covenant. But each one of these needs covenant as a foundation. And so that's why the stats show, uh, and, and secular counselors can't figure this out, that those couples that live together have a higher rate of divorce uh, than those who don't before marriage. These actually work together with one another. The friendship, the, the, the goal, the potential for a husband or wife is to be a close, dear friends. And, and as the years go on, best friends. Of course, that doesn't mean you can't have other best friends because a, a man to a man's friendship is different than in that marriage friendship. A woman with her girls and her gals. Uh, you know, is a different type of friendship. God blesses those. There, there's besties, you know, during, message, during marriage. You don't just have uh, one friendship need. It's, but there's a friendship that God blesses. And that blesses the romance. That, that heart where there, there's, there's this pursuing kind of love. There's this emotions that are connected to romance. And then that blesses sexual intimacy. And God created sexual intimacy. It's not something to just try out for different partners. No, He created for the marriage covenant to be blessed there. It doesn't get blessed outside of marriage. And sexual intimacy is something that actually grows. I know uh, it's just so exciting when two young uh, believers get married and and they're both been pure and, and they're so excited about that wedding night. Well, let me tell you, it gets even better because it grows like the other areas of your relationship grows. And then that sexual intimacy will bless the romance, and that romance will bless the friendship, and back forward intertwining, these things actually connect with each other. I've heard, and they talk about the stages of marriage, and they'll talk about how the romance, that emotional phase, just fades out, and can, it can happen as fast as just a couple of years. 
And that is true. It can. Romance, friendship, all of it, sexual. These are things that you actually work on and continue to develop. And you have to choose that I want this uh, to, I want to be a better husband in these areas of our relationship. If romance dies and can never come back, then why do we see this genuine love and romance in older couples, just like this image right here? We see this. We, we know this is real. That no matter how old, you can cultivate romance in any phase of your marriage. Delise and I, we have been married 33 years. Come on now. And, um, you know, that is, uh, you know, God's blessing. And um, I'm, I'm definitely uh, someone who is, is uh, you know, she's the better half. And I got lucky on this. And I'm so grateful. Uh, she is, as the Bible says in Proverbs, that uh, he who receives an excellent wife receives a crown from the Lord. And that's what has happened in our home and my life. And what happens is, is that when your friendship is struggling, when your romance is fading, when your sexual intimacy is, is having some uh, confusion and difficulties, this is what you do. You go to the one who created these things. And in your heart and in your prayers, you say, God, help me see my spouse like you do. Help me understand them as you do. He is the unifier. He was there at the covenant making. He's saying, I am always available. And I can tell you, your friendship with each other will start getting blessed. Your, your uh, romance, you'll start having those back when you're dating feelings again. And because you see things as God sees them. You'll have sexual intimacy will be blessed. These things God wants to work in your relationship he's is the covenant unifier he created it he knows it better than anyone else and plus those resources that people have been providing and writing uh, on constantly and constantly in order to um, uh, enrich marriages so i'll just throw this in as a little side note delisa and i we were we were big on uh, premarital preparation, and before we were even engaged, we were taking, uh, doing, looking for resources on our college campus, and there was a Christian uh, marriage class, uh, and we took it, I think, I don't know if it was audit for grade, I can't remember, and because we were very serious and, and contemplating and believed that, you know, God would bring in engagement. And the speaker, the teacher brought in another professor from India uh, who had a prearranged marriage. And he and his wife came into the classroom and spoke. The first prearranged you know, marriage I'd ever seen. And didn't think, well, that, that's not even, that's not even uh, you know, real, is it? I mean, everybody knows that's not the best way to do it. No, there's some cultures that still do that. And actually, that is how civilizations mostly have been married for centuries. 
And you're thinking, you know, how does that work? You know, well, in the American Western mindset, for mindset you, you meet somebody and develop a friendship, and then there's some romantic feelings, and then you pursue them in dating, and then you decide, uh, yeah, you get engaged and married, and then you have sexual intimacy. It's the other way around in prearranged marriages that they may not know each other. They may know each other fairly well. They might have somewhat of a relationship or friendship, but it's not coming out of friendship. It's becoming enough. And there are Christian families that do this today. I met a, a lady in, um, in Haifa, Israel, that was volunteer with Ema's Goodies there, and I was helping uh, uh, Renee with the outreach there, and she was uh, in her, her fiancé. lived. They were a, pre, a prearranged marriage, and... and they were Christians. They, their parents had been praying about it and so forth. And so they start with sexual intimacy, which blesses their romance and then blesses their friendship. So it's kind of a, a reverse order. But when covenant is the foundation, then God can bless all of it. You see that? It's the covenant that's the key. No matter which order it is, it's the covenant has got to come first. I have see in us you know just we we're we come from uh marriages in all phases and uh stages and so i want to just review those real quick and and go over uh that and to apply some of the things uh to these eight i I created eight phases of marriage i was looking them up people have five six seven i went as high as eight you know because they do overlap and all that but uh, number one is the marriage formation phase this is when it's just two people when it's just getting started and that's a great season to uh, invest the seeds that will bring fruit later on in that marriage. It's not a time just to waste time and just, no, to be strategic and think, how, how can our relationship uh, be blessed and grow uh, in now that will help us in our future? Children phase, I had the children phase in, in three uh, uh, segments there. That diaper potty training phase. Uh, and, and, and it's like, how many years do you have to be in diapers? I mean, good gracious. And, and, uh, but it's a lot of firsts, right? The first words, the first walking, the first uh, going to school, to kindergarten, preschool. You know, there's a lot of firsts, so it's an exciting time. The other children phase, number two, is that carpooling homework phase when they're in elementary school and middle school and they're active and there's activities and you're driving everywhere. Uh, you're putting a lot of miles on the vehicle, burning a lot of gas. And uh, there's a lot of parenting training and putting in values in, into them during these years. The children phase, uh, part number three, the launching of young adults. They can, they're seen as responsible to drive. They're 16, and they get their license, and you're now actually uh, you know, helping them launch into first jobs and graduation from high school, graduation from uh, perhaps college, first jobs there. You're launching young adults. Uh, there's the empty nest phase where it's suddenly back to just two. And it's, you know, we, we have um, uh, three bedrooms on the main floor of our house, and our bedroom is at the end. And, you know, walking down, I think, oh, is Jana there? No, she's not there. Is Michael around? No, it's like a quiet house. We're, we're learning uh, some what it's like to be in the empty nest phase when it's back just to do. I've seen this, that uh, not with us, we are not there, but I've seen some uh, you know, husband and wives go, oh my gosh, it is just us. We have been busy for the last uh, 20 years with kids and we really haven't related much and invested in each other. And it's like, man, this is like brand new. We have to start all over. 
And it really is, can be a shocking phase uh, how much that re- relationship may have been uh, just, uh, you know, just not on purposely neglected, just, it just because of the time frame and the busyness of that other time, just realize, wow. Grandparenting phase can come. These next phases all kind of blend in together. That can be a fun phase. You get to spoil the young ones. If you live close, you, you're, you're part of their training uh, of those younger generations. Uh, you in retirement phase where both adults are retired, then that can really be, uh, you know, an amazing shock. Like, oh my gosh, we really are going to be with each other a lot. Can we handle each other? I've, I've heard women saying that, you know, my husband retired. Now I have a full-time job <laughs> taking care of him. That's not true, though. That's a hyperbole, isn't it? Just a total exaggeration. Yeah, I, I had to bring that back in for, for, for this week, get it right this time. There's also an assisted needed phase where now you or your, and, your, and or your spouse just need assistance, need help. And don't worry about that. The younger generations, other people, friends and family, they get rewards by serving you and helping you. And it's one we wish didn't, it wouldn't happen. We would never need any help. But God has blessings both on this earth and the next for helping and assisting those. And you know, in these phases of life, I, I wish uh, we had done this. We would have family vacations in the summer and we'd never gotten that pattern of having a, a big family picture done every year. And you see all the changes in the ages. And we've done a, a few of those and and, and, you know, those, are, those are beach pictures, particularly, the, and, and, of course, these are the ones you put on your profile uh, at Facebook because they're the best pictures, and everybody is happy and smiling, and, 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 I mean, that's what it's all about, right? You know, Instagram, what's the best view? What's the best look? Let's, oh, let's do it again. We weren't, you know, smiling just right, okay, to present how happy and what a perfect family we are. And, uh, and they're great, beautiful pictures. I mean, we have, I have one of my offers from you know, good several years ago, and, uh, but this couple summers ago, we, we did it. We we're going to have uh, my two oldest sons are married. One has uh, two of our, our only grandchildren, and then our next two are young adults, and, and we thought uh, my mom was with us, and Carol's with us, so we have this picture for our beach picture, and, uh, and the two, two little ones there it was hard to get a good picture of the happy family because Eliana was, is such a sweetie, but she cried crocodile tears that day. It was like, you, are you, we hired this photographer and she cried the whole time. We couldn't get one good picture. That was the best shot where she wasn't, didn't have tears coming out of her eyes that day. And so we just had to get it. Get it quick, quick, get, take the picture. And so there's our perfect family. No one ever cries. Everybody's always happy, right? So it is true that in these covenants that last, yes, you could be willing to uh, grow with more counseling and resources and training. Uh, we have to be willing to forgive. Uh, we have to have to cultivate friendship, romance, sexual intimacy. But also we need to be devoted to one another in life's journey. And these journeys are different phases of life. Do you even remember the vows that you shared at your wedding ceremony? 
Uh, you may have done the, the very traditional ones, which I will go over right now. Uh, many of the variations you see today are, are, are very close to that with just a little bit different wording. There's great truths in those traditional vows. When I sit down with a couple, and, uh, and, and if they want to write their own vows and so forth, I'm into that, that's great, let's do it. But I want to read them first before we get to the ceremony. Because I want to see what they represent. I want to know that it's covering some uh, covenantal language and the aspects of life that can be hard. And I want to, so I want to read them and I want to go over them, compare them with these that, you know, you almost think these traditional vows must have come out of Scripture somewhere, but they're not word for word. They're actually created from uh, church leaders of the past, but they did so well bringing scriptural principles out of the word and that these are, I think, refreshing to listen to. The first line goes this. I, Stephen, take you, Delisa, to be my wedded wife. And as I said earlier, and it's so true, that, that an excellent wife, Proverbs 12, 12, 4, is the crown of her husband. But this recognizes, this phrase recognizes that it's a choice that you make in this covenant. That God is there, but He's not forcing you to have this covenant. And if it's a prearranged marriage from another culture, another land, I don't know how they work that out. But in the end, it's a covenant that between man and woman, and you're each saying, I will take the responsibility to live this out with God's help and God's grace. And so many times with unrealistic expectations that, hey, God brought us together. Uh, I, I know this is God's will. And then whatever, after the first, second, third year, that honeymoon phase, there's issues. And you're like, oh my gosh, did I miss here? God, was this a mistake? Was this, God, you gave me this spouse. Why did, and we're blaming, like we're going back to the Garden of Eden in the, in the original sin, blaming someone else and, and saying, no, no, you entered this covenant. You chose yourself to undercome. I am here to empower you. I'm here to empower your spouse, but there's no blaming going on. You made the covenant. I take you to be my wedded wife. And thank you, uh, all the wives in the room, for being that crown for your husband here at Living Waters Men. You are the best, and you make us better. Second vow, to have and to hold from this day forward. Those uh, the meaning of have and to hold ref- reflects belonging. Belonging and holding would be inc- knowing each other uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually. It's a complete uh, knowing to have and to hold from this day forward. That you belong to each other and there's no other relationship that is going to be like it. This is unique. And so any, any other kind of you know, romance or other kind of friendship that intervenes, and then, hold it now, this is a to have and to hold vow from this day forward. Song of Solomon is a romantic book, right? It's about uh, it's romance in marriage, and it resembles God and the body of Christ. And there's this phrase uh, that repeats it in verse I have it here in chapter 2, verse 16. My beloved is mine and I am his. He pastures his flock amongst the lilies. But my beloved is mine and I am his. That's this vow right here. To have and to hold from this day forward. 
Next uh, vow, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I like to sometimes use different phrases. This is the, uh, the traditional Protestant phrase of, uh, of, of adversity in health. Because we don't want to assume that we all will get sick, but normally that happens. But these phrases represent the fact of life that even though Jesus Christ is Lord, and though, even though He's Lord of our life, and, but He said to us, take heart, because there are many trials and tribulations in this world. Take heart, because I've overcome the world. So this covenant is needed to persevere through these challenges, these ups and downs, the sufferings of life. He speaks to this, and Paul does, and I want to read this verse as one representing going to marriages. He said this in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. Our marriage has peace, Lord, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand, husband and wife, in the grace of God. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings out about perseverance in our relationship and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. That character and hope and strength in verse 5 in hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts, our marriages, our marriage here, that through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. These scriptures were written maybe in a general context to the Roman church, but it's applicable for every husband and wife. That though the devil has designed trials and tribulations to divide that and hurt and weaken the covenant, no, God in all of our experiences wants to produce a strength in us at the end. And after... These sufferings happen, you look back, we realize, wow, our friendship is stronger. Even our romance is stronger. Even our sexual intimacy can be blessed because this suffering has brought us closer together. And even though that covenant was strong on that wedding day, Lord God Almighty, look what we went through together. And we, we survived it and not only survived it, but you grew in us more hope, more character, more fruit in our lives. There is really nothing to compare uh, in the, the power of a husband or wife as one of the uh, spouses go through suffering in health. I, I saw it for five years how Carol served Joel as he battled multiple myeloma. Many of us saw uh, Don Carpenter's servant's heart for five, six years with Karen battling cancer. We're touched by Frank Figg, servant of his wife, uh, Mary, for many years. And I just could, could just go on and on and on. I mean, it, it's just prevalent, and that is the amazing covenant, that vow that you're living out in those times of suffering, and God somehow empowers you. Because uh, care giving someone 
who is, who is ill going in and out of the hospitals and, and in uh, you know, rehab and then back home and then back to hospital and, and helping them through. There is a caregiving is the most stressful, wearisome job out there. They've done studies on this. I've seen the stats. There's nothing that wears down a person's more than caregiving. It's seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And I just say this without lightly, not lightly, only God knows what you went through, the perseverance that it took, what your spouse went through in the suffering. Only God knows, and He does know, and He sees. And He is building hope in you. He's building character and perseverance and fruit and eternal fruit. I want to go on to the, to the next spot here. Vow to love and to cherish till death do us part. I love this scripture. It's just a great scripture. But I want to read it as in we have our marriages in mind. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, we are both husband and wife chosen. We're holy and beloved. Put on a heart of compassion toward one another. We put on a heart of kindness, a heart of humility and gentleness. And we put on patience with one another, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also we will forgive each other in this marriage. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Yes, Lord, put more love on us uh, even after 20 33 years, 45, 50 years, and let the peace of Christ rule in our marriages to which indeed we were called in one body and be thankful. I want to mention a few ways that, um, uh, that to live out this, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Uh, serving is something that Jesus taught every, all of us to do and he he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet, and they were so. Well, God, what is our leader doing this? He's the he's the our master. What is he doing? It was so awkward. It was so difficult. Peter said, "You can't you can't do that to me." He said, "Well, you're not going to be in my kingdom unless you allow me to wash your feet." So that servant's heart is really a way we express love. My dad was uh, a servant, and his personality when he would come visit us, he helped paint. He'd come, you know. Next time he would think of something else to help, he was just wanting to help. And um, uh, in 2019, back in Lynchburg, Virginia, where they lived, my mom had pneumonia and ended up having to go in the hospital for almost a week. I drove down after a couple of days, her being in, in the, uh, 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 the hospital, and, and, and then during kind of a break time, he and I went down to the cafeteria uh, to, to eat together. And I was saying, Dad, you know, you've, you've been here for several nights, and now I'm here. Let me spend the night here. You go on home. Uh, you know, don't worry about it. And, you know, you're, you're 85 years old. You need to take care of yourself. And, and um, sorry. He interrupted me, this quiet man. He looked at me in the eye and he said, Stephen, it is my job to serve my wife. Isn't that right? And I was like, um, uh, well, uh, yeah, I'm thinking, when did my dad write the last book on how to be a great husband? I mean, I didn't know. You know, he was just like, wow, he's living this out. And I went home to, and slept in the nice bed that night. But serving 
one another, and, and that was a health situation at the time. Uh, he passed away uh, just that, later that summer. That was in the spring, and, and he passed away later that summer. Uh, he was diagnosed with liver cancer and, and they did not have a long suffering, just about 14 days, so we're grateful for that. I know he was. But there's a lot of practical things to do at home to serve. I want to tell you this is important to, to, to train this in your children at the earliest age. That we serve mom. We serve mom. In our house, if you cook, then you don't have to clean the kitchen. I get one hand clap on that. Maybe two, maybe three. And so that includes me. That's not just for the kids, but, you know, I, and, and I don't cook. So, you know, if I don't do this, then I'm not helping her at all. It's not just me helping her, but it's to train the children so they learn we're not going to just have mom serve us all day, all day, and just do everything for her. So as soon as they could pick up that cup and take it to the uh, dishwasher, as soon as they could take that plastic plate and help dump it out, we were having them doing it. And, you know, cleanup times during the day where, you know, all the toys are out. I mean, I want to tell you, it was a great song. I got sick of sick of it. Clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere. Clean up. That's right, everybody. Everybody you do, you share that Barney song, that, that purple dinosaur. Yeah, that, that, that actually works with the little ones, okay? Yeah, and, and it rings in your ears, this awful song. But, you know, it works with the little ones. That they, they do, they made the mess, so they're going to help clean up. And, and so our children were a part of, uh, you know, mostly on the cleaning side in kitchen, and they would, they'd end up, you know, separating, okay, I'll do this and you do that, and they, you know, well, I'll do tonight, you do tomorrow night, and, you know, there's all these kind of rotation things that happen. And so then when my son, Michael, just this past year, uh, graduated from Vanderbilt and had got a, a good job, was living in, Florida, where the headquarters was, a pandemic hit. They closed down the headquarters, moved him up to Chicago. He was uh, living in downtown Chicago, got a dog, and started walking the dog in the winter time, going to the dog park. His lease was coming up, and he said, Hey, Mom and Dad, can I come home to the basement and bring my new dog? I just need two months. I just need two months. That turned into 12 months. And it, we didn't know, you know, is this going to work or not? You know, you know, two months, we can do two months, you know, two months went by, is this going to work? And it was pleasant, it, it was pleasant. One reason is because he knew that if he's, he's not going to be mooching on his mom or us, and we had all the utilities to break down and all this, to, he was going to be covering his expenses because he's got a job, he's going to be, and then he's going to, uh, you know, help with cleaning the dishes like he always has, and he's going to be a part of when... Well, the basement need to be cleaned up. That's gonna, he's going to have to do that. He uses the yard, so just like any of us, he's got to help cut the grass, right? I mean, I had the boys cutting grass in their cleats when they were, you know, elementary school, and they were short, and people go, man, is that like child abuse? What is that? Good Lord, that little guy in Jana was in fifth grade, push mowing in Philadelphia. She's the prettiest uh, girl in our, our neighborhood, mowing in the summers when she's home, you know. Because we don't want to teach them to mooch off of anybody, including mom. So this is a value that a husband cannot just, you help your wife yourself, but you train your children to help 
your wife, your prized queen of the house, that beautiful bride, and you honor her. Another way, of course, there's thousands of ways to love and cherish till death do us part, is what kind of dating uh, schedule life do you have in your marriage? And what it and changes with the seasons of life, doesn't it? The frequency of it and the and the and how it can change. For us, I can remember living in Kentucky, having uh, starting off with twin boys, uh, you know, needing help. Carol was you know close by, so we had free babysitting. When we moved uh, to Pennsylvania, it took us a while. Found. Uh, a couple of teenagers in the church group, group we trusted, and so we scheduled then, it was once a month that we would have one of those girls in. And, and again, men, uh, you initiate and you be the one who usually schedules that. Get it on your busy calendar and then you know, talk through who's going to talk to baby, get the babysitter this and make the arrangements. When we moved to Philadelphia, it was to start a house church a ministry in inner city ministry and connect in the inner city and we didn't know anybody we didn't have any babysitters we didn't live near family anymore and our dating uh you know life really did you know decline during that time and then the kids got a little bit older where now the oldest could watch the younger and we could leave it's something you battle for life is busy and we found just the other night instead of going driving back out to louisville to a restaurant we can we're empty nesters we could stay home and we can do you know it can be a quiet night just with us now here's the temptation folks right is that you get your device she gets her device and you're watching different your favorite shows no 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 you decide together and how long does it take to find something that you both want to watch it takes some time but do it and you have a date night at home so these things you battle for, you work for, to have one-on-one time together. And that's a way in different phases of life that we uh, uh, work at it together. These, uh, vow number five, according to God's holy ordinance. And hereto I pledge you my faithfulness. I'm going to ask the praise team to go ahead and come up. One thing that, that I think you heard come out of this message, uh, but it's not one that I'm really spending time directly, I'll make a comment. That friendship, our romance, our sexual intimacy is also blessed by teamwork. And in these children years, or if you're doing a, a starting a business together, if you're moving and transitioning, that teamwork is such a blessing. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, again, applying it to a marriage. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For, e- for if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep, them, keep warm but how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly turned apart. So we have this 
these seasons of life that for covenants to, that last, they, in our list, that final one is a real thing, that we are devoted to one another in life's journey. And so I'm asking now for the Holy Spirit to take whatever stage that you and your spouse are in right now and say, Holy Spirit, have your way. What vow do I need to remember today that you want me to remember? What stage of life that we're in that we need some extra grace in, in either uh, uh, at the romance stage or the friendship stage? What, what, what is it, Lord, that, that you want us to help? And I'm just going to uh, ask you to, as Julia goes in the last song, just to be open to the Holy Spirit, to God and direct you and make application. Because God wants your marriage not just to last, but to thrive in these days.
pursuing romantic love of us, that you're passionate about us, that you uh, put us as priority in your heart and you pursue us. Thank you for that. Lord, we pray, Lord God, that you bless the marriages here with that kind of love. I want to close by rereading Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15, and pray these over our marriages, over, uh, and if you're not married, then pray this over your relationship with God, because you're the bride of Christ, we're all the bride of Christ, and, um, and in these phases of life, you know, there is, and I, I hope to teach on this some this uh, fall or winter, about spiritual parenting, spiritual mothering and fathering, and the spiritual family. And so even outside your children, if you don't have children, there is these stages of where you're helping, uh, in a sense, disciple children of God. And so find ways to apply this passage to you. So as those have been chosen of God, Colossians 3 verse 12, Lord God, thank you that our marriages have been chosen of God here at Living Waters. And all that's listening here, those online either today or later uh, in the week or some other time. We've been chosen of God. We're holy and beloved. We put on the heart of compassion toward our our spouse, our heart of kindness and humility toward our mate. We take on the heart of gentleness and patience. We bear with one another and forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave me, so also I forgive my spouse. Beyond all these things, put on love for one another, which is the perfect bond of unity. And Lord, we want that bond in this phase of our marriage. We want that spirit of unity and oneness to be stronger than ever. And let the peace of Christ rule in our marriages here at Living Waters, to which indeed we were called into one body. And Lord, we are thankful for our spouse. We're so grateful you gave their gift to me. Our spouses, they are gifts from God to us. We're thankful. We're grateful. And also want to jump back on Dolores's word of encouragement. Lord, heal wounds right now. That's what this record love does of the Father. It pursues us. It pursues those wounds. Those questions of confusions. Why did that happen? Why did this happen? Holy Spirit, heal those wounds. Heal each, each and every one of us, Lord, so that we come to this, to our marriages better than before because you've healed our wounds you've poured out the love you've forgiven us you've washed us so now we come to this marriage uh, a, a, a better person more like you Jesus I'm going to encourage you if you have a sense of the spirit still speaking to you or drawing you just to, to stay here as the worship team uh, still continues to worship and of course I'm going to uh, just bless you into the week and you can feel free to go or hang out here in the gathering place. Well, Father, thank you that you care. 
No one else may know what we're going through in our marriage or our family or the suffering that our spouse might be going through with the health. Lord God, you know. You know. So with that, we trust you. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing on us this week, that your grace is more than enough, that you send us from this place, Lord, to be light and darkness. And what we received in forgiveness and what we received in healing and cleansing, Lord, we give give away to others. Amen. Have a great week. I didn't actually bring up the altar ministry team people. If you could come up and be available for prayer for any reason, perhaps you're going through something uh, uh, like a, you're going to have a medical procedure coming up soon. We want to pray for you about that. We want to agree with you. If you're online uh, this morning for the next 30 minutes, we have this uh, phone line available for prayer. Uh, that's only for Sunday morning. So, But we encourage you to call that number this morning and receive prayer. You have a great week. Love you guys. See you soon. There's no shadow you won't lie up, mountain you won't climb up, coming up to me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming up to me.